0: Morning, everyone. One of the greatest gifts I had in my childhood was the gift of boredom. Uh, I was the third of four siblings, and so growing up, uh, we did a lot of made-up games, and that's where boredom is really a gift allows for your creativity to come up. And we'd always make up these games, whether it was, you know, pretending to get from one place to another, or maybe it was a morphing of another game or a sport that you've seen, and then you make up new rules and make it work for the place that you're in. So one of the greatest joys I have as a dad is seeing my son do the same thing. We play a lot of made-up games at home, and I love it. We kind of more from different sports especially are a lot of the games that we'll play we'll make up our own version of baseball or hockey and he's really good at it and he's, he's gets a lot of fun going into it and i like his creativity it's one of the things as a dad i love watching and my son's got a really good attitude when he plays games but i have noticed he's kind of picked something up from me he can be a little competitive Uh, when it comes to playing a sport or a game. And so when we play together, it's funny, as we're making up rules at the beginning and we start playing our game, if he's losing, it's not uncommon that a new rule suddenly gets made. And it just so happens to be that oftentimes these rules are more advantageous for him to be able to win. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life. Maybe it's at work or at school or maybe in a relationship, but where someone you know has a a bit of a habit of changing the rules, if you will, or maybe you're a person who's like that yourself. This was the issue that Paul was facing and, and began to address Uh, with those at the church in Colossae as we continue through our study of the book of Colossians as we're in chapter 2. And uh, thank you to the Pahoon family for doing our reading this morning of the passage that we're going to be jumping into right here. So with that, Paul had three warnings for these young Christian converts in Colossae that we're going to be discovering through our passage today starting in verse 16. So in verse 16 and 17 it says this, so don't let anyone Condemn you. This word so can also be translated as therefore. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ Himself is that reality. This word so or therefore it helps connect. This passage that we're about to study today with the previous passage that Pastor Brennan did a great job of, of just opening up last week. But I want to read from you uh, verse 14 and 15 that came immediately before this. It's Paul's building off of this groundwork and foundation. As he says this, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So here we see the basis for our freedom, and it is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He has canceled your debt and my debt because of our wrongdoings, our sin on the cross. Because of the work of Christ, Paul says, Don't let anyone condemn you. Or it could also be said, Don't let anyone else judge you. Hence, our first point that we pull out here, don't let anyone judge you. This passage we study today starts by speaking against the issue of legalism in the church. Again, as these Gnostic teachers, as we've discussed in previous weeks, were in the church. The Encyclopedia of Christianity says this for legalism. It defines it as a Uh, A descriptor for the direct or indirect attachment of behaviors, disciplines, and practices to the belief in order to achieve salvation and right standing before God. It emphasizes a need to perform certain deeds in order to gain salvation. So essentially, to put it very simply, legalism is anything that teaches you need to add anything else on top of what Jesus has done. It's an amazing juxtaposition. Paul finishes this beautiful explanation in 14 and 15 of the work and the finality of the cross, of how it has paid our debt and has made us able to live right with God and to live right in the life that we're called to. And immediately following this, he begins to speak about legalism. The unparalleled freedom the cross brought being compared in the same breath to the legalism that these teachers had brought into the church. Now, the church in Colossae was full of Gentile believers. The false teachers in that city were trying to force the new Christians to follow old Judaism or old Judaic laws. They were essentially trying to change the rules that Jesus had laid out. Now, under the old law, there were certain dietary restrictions. So... You couldn't eat pork, for example, because it was a hooved animal. They were seen as unclean. And so if you were to eat this unclean meat, it would make you unclean. Now Jesus himself spoke to this in Matthew 15. And he said, it's not what a person ate or took in that made their heart clean or unclean or spiritual or unspiritual, but rather it was their heart. It was what was already in them that made them clean or unclean. Paul also mentions here certain celebration days and ceremonies, new moons and Sabbaths. Again, going according to the Jewish calendar of certain things that were really only a shadow leading up to what would be Jesus. The Jewish Sabbath always rested on the seventh day. God asked that in creation, that we take the seventh day to rest. And so for those who follow Judaism... They have their day to rest, their holy day is Saturday. Yet, you may have noticed, as a church, we meet on Sunday. That's because New Testament Christians actually began meeting on the Sunday, and it was to commemorate the victorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Again, these leaders and these teachers in the church who had these young Christians who were just coming to know Jesus themselves were trying to put on an old paradigm, an old rule book on this new faith that had been made through Christ. Uh, I know many of us have maybe tried some new things or tried to relearn old things during COVID. Uh, Specifically during lockdown in the earlier days, a lot of us had a lot more time on our hands. I can't say that I was a person who necessarily at any point had a ton of time, although I anticipated I would. But I had in my basement uh, from a previous year a gift. We needed a Blu-ray player, and so we had found actually an Xbox One that was cheaper than the Blu-ray player we wanted to buy, so we bought that to use as our Blu-ray player in our house. Now, the last time I was relevant when it came to video games would be back with the N64 in the 90s. And so it'd been a long time since I was really a gamer, but I thought, you know, given COVID, maybe I'll have more time. And my brother-in-law who works for a video game company graciously gave me a copy of NHL 2020. So I thought maybe I'll get into this and maybe I should play video games a little bit again and try that out as a different hobby to do during, during lockdown. I didn't play very much. Part of that is because I was horrible. First of all, the remote was very different Uh, The graphics that I had used for the last hockey game where I was actually really good at would have been around NHL 95. I liked that they had the option of actually changing the rules and the graphics on the new game so you can have it play like NHL 95, and I thought it was great. But for anybody else who would actually wanna do it, it was such a downgrade, the quality of the graphics and the gaming. But I liked it because it was familiar to me. It made sense. And essentially, that's what's going on in the church here, is we have these leaders that even though what Jesus brought was totally better, they wanted to pull things back because they wanted to pull it back to where it made sense for them. Paul revealed that these Old Testament laws and commands were really only what he called a shadow of what was to come, and that was Jesus. See, in Old Testament practices, the temple that people went to worship was really based off the blueprint of God's heavenly throne room that we were now invited to access through Christ. We see the practice of animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. Again, this practice was only a shadow foretelling of what Jesus would ultimately do as he paid with his own blood the true price and penalty for our sin. The laws and commands of the Old Testament were meant To just keep us in line with God's desire for life, but yet they weren't totally complete. All they were able to tell us was what to avoid. Warren Wearsby writes this He says, The law was a schoolmaster that helped to train and disciple Israel in the childhood of the nation, preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. Now that Jesus had come, the schoolmaster was no longer needed to perform the same function. I like to think of it this way. If you've ever gone bowling, if you're not very good, I've seen this often where some people are really afraid and their focus just becomes not wanting to get their ball in the gutter. Yet there's this great thing that you can do, and usually it's only safe for like children under six, but you can actually have the lanes put down covers over the bumper. And this is, uh, if you work with me here, this is actually a great illustration for what Jesus has done for you and me. See, the law allowed us to focus on making sure or knowing the parameters of how not to go in the gutter. But really the whole goal of the game is to get the ball down the middle and try and get a strike. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross changed the entire paradigm. And what God wants for you in your life is not simply to try and avoid the gutter. And so he's put down those bumpers and he said, I have paid what you could not pay. And your life is not simply about trying to avoid, but rather what God wants for you and what the New Testament calls the fullness of life in Christ is pursuing the middle of the lane and pursuing God. That's his call for you. Some of you have lived your life just focused on try not to get in the gutter. And God's desire for you is life to the full. Unfortunately, as humanity, though, we tend to be drawn, even though we say we aren't, we tend to be drawn towards religious practice. It's because it's a way of making us feel like we're doing something. It it feeds our sense of pride and ego and makes us feel like we're in control. See, while God's free gift is amazing... It also makes it very clear that God is the only one in control. And many of us struggle wanting to keep that control ourselves. The flesh is weak when it comes to doing spiritual things, but it is strong when it comes to practicing religious rules and regulations. And somehow adhering to the religious routine inflates the ego and makes us feel content, makes us feel self-righteous. You see, many in the church and class say they really liked playing NHL 95, if you will. And they were working hard to make sure everyone else played by those same rules because that's what made sense to them and that's what made them feel like they were in control. See, in this life, we can feel like we can somehow earn. If we could just somehow earn, that would be better because then we can own, then we're in control. And these added rules that they've added on to the all-paying cost of the cross that we see in the previous verses of 14 and 15, what they really say is that Jesus' price on the cross for you was not enough. You also needed to add to it. And that's why Paul is specifically speaking against it. See, the equation is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you need to break it down to a math equation, that's it. There's nothing else needed in the equation. If Jesus has paid your debt, your life is no longer about simply trying to avoid sin. It's about pursuing Jesus. The bumpers are up, and you don't need to worry about the gutter anymore. You need to focus on Christ. Legalism, on the other hand, equals bondage and death. See, Paul's trying to make it perfectly clear people are not to be your judge. Some of you know very well the death that's brought with allowing people to judge over you and to seek others' approval. Whose approval have you been seeking in your life? Is it your parents? Is it a friend? Is it your boss or coworker? Is it your spouse? Who's the person that their opinion means everything to you and you realize you've been serving that opinion? Maybe you already realize that trying to fill that void, is like filling a bottomless cup, trying to actually get to that point where that person will unequivocally approve of you and make you feel the worth that you so desire is a never ending pursuit where you will never arrive and you will never be good enough. See, we weren't made to gain anyone else's approval if you're trying to earn the approval of someone else, if you're part of this church and you've been working to try and get the approval of your pastor, whether that's me or one of the other pastors on staff because you believe that that will please God, I got some disappointing news for you. That doesn't help at all. James 4.12 says this, God alone who gave the law is the judge and he alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? God alone is the only judge that actually matters. So don't give the weight of, the, of others words that should only be given to the words of God. Right at the end of this statement in James 4.12, where it says, So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? It's amazing that when we live a life that's seeking the approval of and the judgment of others, How we tend to replicate that in our own relationships and how we treat other people. And we become judges ourselves. So, the first thing that we can hear from Paul today don't let anybody judge you. Secondly, accept no counterfeits, don't let anyone else lead you instead of God. In verse 18, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Paul, Paul specifies here two things to not let false teachers do. And to convince you in. And that's pious religious, these pious, sorry, these pious religious teachers, don't let them condemn you in these two things. Now condemn here means don't let them defraud you. Don't let them disqualify you or say you are unworthy of the prize of the cross of Christ. Don't let them defraud you by these two things. First, pious self-denial. Or if I could put it in, in other language what that means false humility. Now, humility itself is a great thing. Humility is a modest view or a low view of one's importance. And this is actually healthy when it's a a proper view of our importance in comparison to the God of the universe. But that's not what Paul is telling them to avoid here. Rather, he's speaking to a false humility. Now, how do you tell the difference between real humility and false humility? Real humility focuses on God. And so the humility comes as we recognize the greatness of God and us in comparison to him. And with that, real humility has the goal of seeking God's pleasure and his approval. False humility, on the other hand, focuses on the work of self with the goal of seeking others' admiration and approval. This is a wrong marking system. It's a wrong way of actually trying to quantify your worth if you're trying to do it by others' approval. That's like trying to find if you're a good accountant by how many hot dogs you can eat. It's completely irrelevant and doesn't make any sense. So the first thing, false humility. Don't fall into that trap. The second thing, don't get defrauded by the worshiping of angels. Pew Research did a survey across the US. Now I know that we're Canadian and we're different and it's true, but let's be honest. There's a fair bit of crossover here and I couldn't find a Canadian survey. But in the US, they found that 90% of people in United States believe in some type of higher power. From that, 56% profess faith in God as described in the Bible. Uh, From my understanding, in Canada, that percentage would be much lower. But with that, there was another poll that was done, that found 81% of Americans believe in angels, and specifically guardian angels. There is a higher percentage of Americans who believe in angels than believe in the God of the Bible. False teachers in, in Colossae taught the admiration and worship of angelic beings. Again, going back to Gnostic teaching, they taught that the material world was evil, so they sought connection with the non-material world and they pursued things like angels, other spiritual beings that they would see as gods. These people in Colossae thought they were connecting with gods, but really, they were actually connecting with demonic beings. Second Corinthians 11:13 to 15 says this: "These people are false apostles, they are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan himself disguised himself as an angel of light, so it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Let me make this really clear. Angels are not worthy of your attention nor your worship. And if you read your Bible, you will know that God's angels do not want your worship. When the Bible talks about the last days, when we join the heavenly hosts in God's throne room, they aren't looking at each other and going, wow, are we amazing. Come worship me. Come pursue me. Rather, we see that they are enraptured with the greatness of God. Revelation 4 talks about this, where we see the angelic hosts and they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This type of teaching with the worshiping of angels still exists today. People pursue the favor and blessing of angels. Angels were never, I repeat, never worthy of your worship. The Bible is clear. There is only one who is worthy of our worship, praise, and focus. And that is the God that we serve and read of in the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says in his word, there are no other gods before him. See, in this church, there were those who said they had these special visions. And really, these visions were a way of them just feeding their own pride, saying that they were greater than. They knew more. They had more insight They were spiritually elite. They had a pride of special knowledge. And anyone who claims special knowledge, though, that does not line up with the authority and teaching of God's word, church, don't listen to that. If you ever hear me as a pastor say anything that's inconsistent with the clear word of God, don't listen to me. We need to know God's word and what he says. And as it says in verse 19 in our passage in Colossians, And they, meaning these false teachers, are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Christ is the head of the body, and he holds all together. I spoke on that a few weeks ago. He holds all together. And it, meaning us, the church, we grow as God nourishes and supplies for us. That means that God gives you everything you need. Everything you need in this life comes from him. You don't need anything additional. If you ever watch those uh, seen on TV ads for various types of products, they always make it seem like you absolutely need this and you get something in the mail and it's just pure garbage. It doesn't serve any real need. This world is full of salesmen who are trying to tell you what you need in your life. But the Bible says it clearly. There is nothing that you actually need outside of God. So don't buy anything from anyone who tries to sell you something outside of Jesus. You don't need to add anything to him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Some of us get bought into this. If I would only give to this cause, if you would only change this behavior, then God would love you more, then you would be closer, or then you would somehow earn or attain some type of spiritual level in your life, then you could earn your salvation. If I would only give a little bit to this organization, or I would already volunteer my time, or I'd start doing this good deed, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. There is no penance, no prayers to the saints, nothing that you can do that can add to his love and favor that is available only through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. When he's saying blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not saying those who are financially poor. He's saying blessed are those who recognize the futility within their own works, who recognize that they are unworthy of God, who see that they are unable of attaining the salvation, the forgiveness, and the freedom they so desperately need. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, when we recognize that in ourselves we have nothing, it brings us to the point of really actually recognizing our need for Jesus. He has everything you need. So finally, this brings us to the last thing we see, which is live under the freedom Christ has brought you. In verse 20, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings and things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Asceticism was a practiced rigorous self-denial and even self-mortification in order to become more spiritual. See, you are dead to this world, Paul says, so why are you still trying to follow the rules of this world? Now, when he says, don't follow the rules of this world, he doesn't mean ignore the laws of the land you live in. He's not saying, okay, the next time you go to an intersection and the light is red, don't stop. You don't follow the rules of this world. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we see in scripture Jesus himself talk about give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He talks about paying our taxes. He talks about being a good citizen. We still follow the rules of our land. You can't manipulate scripture to try and appease yourself so you can just disobey laws. But what he's saying is, you are called to a higher kingdom, a higher law. Don't sell out for these lesser things. For example, in 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul himself says physical training is of some value. Your heavenly citizenship does not revoke your responsibility of being a good citizen. Rather, Paul encourages here not, not to, uh, to not keep following the rules of this world. He's speaking the man-made structures we created to try to restore our own brokenness. Rules that we set up to somehow earn God's favor. That we've just building our karma. That's not consistent at all with the teaching of the Bible, the life of Jesus. The rituals that we put in to try and gain control... Troll, that's a, that's a big word, isn't it? That's something we all struggle with. It goes on to say here, at the end of this passage, it says, all these rules, they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You don't get rid of the evil that's in you. You don't get rid of the desires, the addictions, simply by your own practice, devotion, or own willpower. If that was true, none of us would struggle with addictions. The reality is, is, that's not in ourselves. If you've ever done any type of addictions program, AA for example, even though it was once a Christ-rooted program, it's moved away from that, but still there is a recognition you need some type of higher power, a divine power. What you need is a savior who is actually able to conquer the rulers, the slave masters that you've allowed into your life. And you don't possess that on your own. Your self-based rules won't bring you salvation nor freedom from your sin or addictions. If you could gain salvation and freedom, you would have already. Only God can because the cost of your sin can't be paid by your acts of sacrifice. They're not good enough. Folks, we need to know that. They're not good enough only by the work of the cross. Hence, the Bible teaches clearly that it is by grace we are saved, not by our works, but only by the grace of God through Jesus on the cross. God has offered you freedom today, freedom through his gift of grace, salvation through Jesus. So church, as I close, can I encourage you, don't let anyone else judge you because there is only one judge. Don't seek the approval of others, but only the one that matters, God. Don't add to the rules and don't let anyone add rules unto you. It's simple. Accept Jesus, know Jesus, follow Jesus. That's it. And finally, don't let anyone rob you of the life that is available through Jesus and Jesus only. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've called us. I just want to pray this morning for some of us maybe we've bought into some of those questions, some of those lies. And I just pray in this moment, God, maybe we even need to confess where we've added to the equation. We've said Jesus plus something else equals. We just want to give those things to you and say, God, I don't don't want to follow that anymore. Jesus, I don't want to live my life just trying to get out of the gutter. I want to pursue you. And maybe for someone this morning, they've never even made that decision and it's just as simple as confessing that on our own, we are unworthy, that we have sinned, we have done wrong. We need your forgiveness. Father, would you forgive our sins? Thank you for your gift of Jesus on the cross. And help us to not just pursue avoiding things. Let us pursue you with all of our lives, that you would be our leader and our guide. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.